Hello, this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to episode five of season one of our podcast, The Making and the Remaking of a Codependent Mind. We spent the first four episodes of this series, or what I'd like to call part one, explaining what we mean by codependency, how it started for me, how trauma played a role, and how I was especially vulnerable to narcissistic type people. Uncovering those things and admitting that I was abused and carried unhealed trauma was a difficult and painful process. There is no doubt about that. And let's just say for people who might be listening for the first time, that story involved an abusive relationship in childhood with a friend we called G, and that relationship formed the the root of the codependency. The codependent behaviors you formed during that traumatic period of your childhood were reinforced in adulthood when you were in abusive relationships, abusive romantic relationships with women we call R and J. But those relationships aren't the whole story. The work doesn't end right there. Equally important to this healing process is taking a good hard look at my behaviors throughout all this. I mean, we've touched on some of these things here and there, but we'd like to spend the next few episodes exploring in much more detail these maladaptive behaviors that I developed. Like, what exactly were they? How did they work for me? How How did they continue to evolve the longer I stayed ignorant of them and kind of suspended in this unhealed state? Right. There's so much more to this than just throwing up your hands and saying you were a victim and all you need to do was just become free of one particular abusive person and everything would magically resolve itself. Mm-hmm. The behaviors might not have been as severe when you weren't actually engaged with an abusive person, but you were still terribly vulnerable to what would happen if you came across another one. Yeah, and it was difficult for me to have just good intimate relationships with even just healthy people in between the abusive relationships because... A lot of those same behaviors were there and and the trauma was not healed. I felt powerless in a lot of ways and my trauma was still getting triggered all the time, even when I was safe. It was really confusing. You say you felt powerless. We'd like to spend this episode talking about how powerlessness worked for you. We've used the phrase in a number of episodes, lack of agency, as a kind of synonym or proxy for that feeling of parallel. So let's talk a little about this concept of agency. Sure. When when we're using the word agency here, we're talking about personal agency. That's basically the level of control that a person feels over their thoughts and their actions and their acceptance of the consequences of those thoughts and actions. People with a strong sense of personal agency feel as though they are an active participant in what happens in their lives. They feel capable of taking actions to make necessary changes in their lives rather than letting other people's actions direct what they think or do. They act with intentionality. This takes looking at one's life in this kind of big picture way where you have forethought and you're visualizing possible outcomes of what may happen in your life, and then trying to set some goals to go towards those actions. You have an ability to imagine futures and an ability to decide on a future and take action to move towards it. Yeah, and then on top of that, it should you should have some kind of 
core values in mind that you're kind of lining yourself up with. You, you need to have some self-awareness to, to be able to do this, to have big picture thinking. So not everything, obviously, is within one's control, but someone with a strong sense of agency is able to recognize the things they can or cannot control and, again, take action accordingly, even if it's um, to accept the fact that, that something's out of their control. Nobody actually starts out life with any personal agency. This is not something you're born with. Right, like baby, babies don't have agency. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're completely helpless. You, you, right. You're dependent on your mm-hmm. mother and your family and your house. Like, you can't do anything for yourself. Right. Um, but this is something that will typically develop as one moves through their childhood in adolescence and into adulthood where you just start to make more and more decisions for yourself and, and you start to trust yourself. Unless that process is interrupted by abuse, by neglect, by trauma, basically by something that makes the person, the child, most likely, feel a pervasive sense of powerlessness. And for me, this process was interrupted because of that abusive childhood friendship with Chi. The effect of almost daily abuse and fear was that I felt no sense of power or control in that relationship. So I was not developing a healthy sense of agency during those crucial years. I actually learned that it was physically unsafe for me to actively pursue personal agency. The idea of recognize, just recognizing my wants and needs and desires and taking an active role and seeking those out kind of actually became one of my triggers, my trauma triggers. Because if you did that, it would put you in a vulnerable situation right. with G. Exactly. And add to that the fact that I didn't really have an overwhelming need to develop it at home when I wasn't spending time with Chi, because I just pretty much deferred to my parents for most of or all of my big decisions in my earlier life. Plus, I didn't have anyone to talk to about my psychological issues like this. So this concept of agency was just totally foreign to me. And then when G was out of your life, what happened? Well, the lack of agency continued. I mean, it didn't, I, I, since I didn't know anything about it, it just, my habitual behaviors were there. And I was also just getting easily triggered. I was constantly on alert uh, with pretty much with every human being that I came in contact with. It didn't matter what kind of interaction it was. And as a result, I tried to keep myself small and unnoticeable. I also just kept myself largely blind to my wants and needs and desires, regardless of who was actively in my life. And how did you understand those feelings, those feelings of wanting to be small and unnoticeable, those feelings of continually being on alert? I mostly just misattributed the feelings that came from this avoidance and powerlessness as as depression or laziness, like these things that are just kind of this low-hanging fruit explanations of feelings. And then not knowing what to do with that information, I just took that on as my identity Took what on as your identity? Is I have depression, or I'm lazy, or I, I don't really have any motivation for life, almost. Mm-hmm. When really it was a feeling of powerlessness. Yeah, I just never understood what I was feeling at any given moment. And then every time I came in contact with narcissists, which was not just those relationships I mentioned, but friendships throughout my life, too. Um, all the way up until R and J that we talked about. It was kind of as though these fears were just confirmed. Like, yeah, 
oh, it's still unsafe for me to exercise my agency. It was unsafe because any attempts to assert agency in those relationships with narcissists, especially R and J, were met with attacks, anger, belittling, shame. Yeah, it was kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy or something. Like I, I, it was kind of like I expected these things to happen, and and then they just did. And I'm like, yeah, there we go. You know, like I this I knew that it was unsafe to express my wants and desires, and here we go. Like there's there's an example, and you know, it's not as though I never had any sense of core values or, or interests, but I always kept it kind of muted, you know? And then when these people came along, it is just like, okay, now I, I just can't even exercise it. I got to do what I can to just kind of suppress it. Any sense of your own agency or identity would just be overwhelmed. Yeah. By these controlling people. What would that look like? Suppressing your own agency, your own desires or wants or needs. I would just very quickly line myself up with these people, like just on a wholesale level, you know, and sometimes it would just be as simple as not being honest with them, R or J or just any of these abusive people. I just, you know, felt the inability to disagree with them. So I, and, and then I would just show support. I would go out of my way to show support for what they're saying, even if I knew in my heart that I disagreed or it would be worse. There would be other times where I'd actively participate in something that I didn't agree with. I mean, that's, that's what I did in the G days. And, you know, it, I, I mm-hmm. felt like I had to, you know, I just got conditioned to that. Mm-hmm. One of the stories you told about your friendship with G was when you were with him at his family's cabin. You were about seven. Mm-hmm. And he spent the whole weekend kind of terrorizing you physically and verbally. It culminated with him getting upset or angry that he had lost his favorite toy and making you bury your favorite toy. Mm-hmm. Right. You said about that, that you didn't, obviously you didn't want to bury your favorite toy, yeah. but you had to. You were a child alone in the woods with someone you knew was capable of violence against you if you didn't comply. You seem to have carried that moment and moments like that into your adulthood where you had to do things if other people wanted you to do things. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, this, I always had this kind of sense of, of I had to do this or this person made me do it or something where, where it was just this, uh, that was my language for, for just, I'm completely powerless. I kind of had this sense that I had to do things even when I wasn't with abusive people. It, it's kind of this thing that just carried through where I didn't feel like I had a lot of say in what I did. And so I was seeking out approval or I was seeking out so- someone with some kind of authority to like confirm something before I did it. And so it was just this, this kind of low level powerlessness all throughout. And then whenever I came across someone that was controlling or abusive, then I was just ready for it, kind of just like, okay, all right. You know, like it, it wasn't a huge leap. Like it's just like, all right, sure. Yeah, I'm used to this. You know, I was doing this in my head and seeking it out. And then here's someone that's just going to tell me what to do. It's going to provide it for you. <laughs> yeah. So sure. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. In our first episode, we talked about the web of behaviors that forms codependency. And really at the core of all of these behaviors is a sense of powerlessness. Mm-hmm. Codependent behaviors center around 
meeting other people's needs. And we said in episode one, it's about taking responsibility for other people's emotions and their needs and their desires. But really the verb taking isn't right. In your childhood relationship, abusive relationship, and to some degree with your dad as well, as we talked about in episode two, you didn't take responsibility. You were made to be responsible for another person's emotional regulation. Yeah, I mean, I think there were times even throughout this healing process where I described it as I gave it, I gave my agency over. And, you know, at times it feels like that and later in the adult life, but it was taken from me it, 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 during the childhood experience. It, that's definitely how I would describe it. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes the default posture in interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. So you just assume that that's your role. So lack of agency or this overwhelming feeling of powerlessness is a key codependent characteristics such that even when you do ultimately, as you were just saying, have power and autonomy as an adult. Mm -hmm. And like we talked about in your relationship in episode four with your relationship with the narcissist, you had what appeared to be a lot of power, financial power, social power, intellectual power, but you could not recognize it. Mm -hmm. You could not act on it. You did not feel a sense of power. I had those things in between those relationships, and I didn't feel it then either. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I had this permanent stance, kind of this habitual stance of powerlessness, regardless of what was going on. But as long as there was someone in my life exerting control over me, I would defer to the other person for pretty much everything. This became completely habitual. So even when I wasn't with the abusers, I pretty much behaved as though I was. I behaved as though I had no control over my life and my decisions. And at that point, really powerlessness was a chronic problem. What are the ways this powerlessness showed up in your life? Well, one of the ways that this lack of agency manifested itself for me habitually was that it acted as this kind of chronic victimhood, along with an avoidance of taking responsibility for things that happened to me. So like the more I deferred to other people, the easier it was for me to just blame them for the results. And then I can in turn avoid additional shame. Part of me also knew that the feelings of powerlessness also caused shame, but I habitually deferred to other people, even when I wasn't being actively abused because it was just a habit. It became especially pronounced when I was under the control of an abusive person. Because they expected really demanded deference. Yeah, right. And even though I felt powerless, I found that this victimhood, it kind of almost gave me a little bit of this passive form of relief in a way, like as if I had no choice but to just accept things the way they were. Like it, it was super fatalistic. I felt as though I had to just accept everything that came along as if I had no control over it either way. I know I never believed in the concept of fate consciously, but it's... I totally behaved as if I did. People like R and J, they chose me. And then once I was stuck with them, I had no choice but to just do everything I could to make those relationships work. And then, well, also just blaming them privately in my head for everything bad that happened in the relationship. And some of the bad things that happened happened not just to you, but to other people in your life in terms of how they treated other people. Yeah, there were a lot of things I experienced that just made me uncomfortable on a regular basis. And we talked about some of those in terms of your relationship with G in episode one. Yeah. But they, were, they continued, not surprisingly, in your relationship with R and J. Yeah, 
I mean, they continued in between too with other mm. friends. I mean, like this was a thing that I was habitually used to was was turning a blind eye to bad behavior, <laughs> and and that's kind of what I was doing. Uh, on, I, I never talked back. So both R and J were not good people. They were they both of them did not treat people well to their faces, but often also just enlisted me behind their backs to just demean the other people when they just didn't feel comfortable enough doing it to their faces, you know, cause I was the easy, you know, they did it to me and, mm-hmm. and, and then they enlisted me to make them feel good about their views of other people too. Including yeah. your family. They didn't treat you. Neither, of them treated neither you. one of them treated my family well. With respect or right. know, with kindness. Right. Um, and so it, it was, it was, that's the similar double-sided thing that I got with G where I had shame for the way I was treated and I had shame for the way other people treated and the, the and shame for the fact that I did nothing to help those people and in many ways participated in it. Like there was actually some of the criticism that both of them laid on other people I participated in. I joined in. So this lack of agency also becomes a lack of moral agency. Yeah, exactly. And the retreat into that, you give up your moral identity. Mm-hmm. And you're now vulnerable to not only receiving abuse, but participating in abuse. Right. Because you've aligned yourself. You've deferred to what you think is a more powerful actor, and that actor is a bad person. Yeah, I mean, at the at the very least, it was like one of those scenarios where if you witness something and you stay silent, you're as bad as the abuser kind of thing. But... I took it a step beyond several times where I became a participant, you know, a (laughs) co-narcissist. And this is a sensitive topic for people who engage in codependent behaviors because there is a sense of, oh, you're just too giving, right? You just take care of everybody. You put yourself second. But if, if it's not just about caretaking, it's about as you were kind of saying, a retreat into this posture of powerlessness, mm-hmm. then isn't that you actually aren't taking care of the people in your life. <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind of funny, though. I used to call it, I, I'm too nice, mm-hmm. or I'm too kind, or something like that. It, or, or I let people walk all over me. Like, this was so just like partial truth. Yeah, I was nice to the abusers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was not nice to everybody else. As we talked about in the last episode... The need to take care of the narcissistic abusers was so overwhelming that it crowded out all the duties of care mm-hmm. that you had as an adult moral agent yeah. to everyone else in your life. Yeah, and I felt the same kind of muting of empathy that I did during the G days, where it's it's like even though this became a habituated thing, I still felt it. I felt I still mm-hmm. felt it. I felt shame. I still felt shame from it. So. This shame, which we'll get into in the next episode, was constantly telling me things and I was constantly avoiding it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the thing. Yeah, I, I knew at some level, at, a, at, at at least a primal level, that this was not right. Not just what they were doing to me and the fact that I was keeping myself stuck in the relationship, but the fact that I lined myself up with these people also and took on their identity. And that identity involved harming other people. Yeah. And when we see that often, when we see other people get harmed, our family, our friends, people we care about, the reaction is often anger. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. And that what fuels our ability to take action and to try to prevent or mitigate that harm. You did not feel it was safe to be angry. Exactly. Where did that anger go? Where did that feeling go? Well, this it was not safe for me to express it. So I didn't even want to feel it. So instead, what anger turns into for a lot of people, and for me, I know my entire life, it turned into resentment. Resentment is like kind of this internal anger. It's really the anger of the powerless. Yes, exactly. They, they don't feel they can act, so mm-hmm. they just have to sit and stew in resentment. Yeah, and then you're just kind of privately hating people in your head. And it's not doing it's not doing anything at all. Like it's not helping. Obviously, it's not helping the situation because I'm not saying anything out loud. And it's not helping me because what exactly am I resolving by just being angry in my head? And but what I've come to find is resentment is kind of this passive attempt at control. Like I've it's, it's almost like this internal anger in my head is like the best I can do to feel as though. I'm taking control against these people. Like I'm telling them off in my head. I'm better than they are. Yeah, right. And I resent the power they have over me, Mm -hmm. even though I kind of gave them that power. Yeah, right. And and the the powerlessness is there the whole time. So I'm I'm feeling powerless alongside of it. So it's like I'm I'm angry with this person. I'm 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 feeling the start of what I should be feeling when someone feels angry and then takes an action towards that anger, but I'm not going beyond that initial feeling mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. anger. Mm-hmm. So I start to feel this anger coming on, but I have to find a way to emotionally resolve it. Because you can't resolve it by actually taking action. Yeah, I've, I've, already, I've already decided that it's too unsafe for me to be angry. So I just fall back on this position of just turning it into resentment. An almost childlike resentment. Yeah, I mean, resentment is, resentment lacks emotional maturity. We talked about in the first episode how codependent behaviors were maladaptive, meaning behaviors like people-pleasing and caretaking evolved in a situation where they were protective. Mm -hmm. They helped you protect yourself from an abusive person. Lack of agency is a little different As you said, your agency was taken from you. Right. At exactly the time when you were supposed to be developing agency, you were being made to feel powerless, either with abuse or fear of abuse. If you tried to assert agency or to assert your own separateness, you were met with violence or the threat of violence. Yes. And then as I went through my life, if I came across an abusive person or really they came across me, that feeling of powerlessness would be triggered or heightened. And that was a signal to me, not to get away from that person, but to get as close to that person as possible to kind of merge with them. It was kind of this protective instinct. I can't get away from them. I'm powerless. So I needed to get closer to this person. But you couldn't merge completely there was still a you there. Mm-hmm. Um, so they may have been muted, but you still had wants, needs, desires. Yeah, definitely. And you still felt that you deserved to be treated well. But that powerlessness prevented you from acting on any of those feelings. And so you 
and then you turned it inwards as resentment and depression. And something I think even bigger than depression is shame that I carried throughout this entire period, my my entire life since the days of, of G. Like I said before, I kind of mis- mistook that as depression, but this was an, an overarching theme in my life, this feeling of shame. And that's why we're going to do a whole episode on shame. We hope you join us for that episode. If you have comments or questions, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook by searching Codependent Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a rating or a review on any platform that you listen on. Thank you.